we owe everything to you. We want to respond to who you are and what you've done in a way that is worthy of who you are and what you've done. Please use this message to do so, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, turning your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, who descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're focusing on really verse 5 this morning. This verse begins with two words. Through whom? Two simple words. Two tiny words. But these two words contain so much glory. These two tiny words wrap the entire universe up in a package and give them to you. Through. This word is often used in our Bibles. If you want to see what's outside, what do you do? You look through a window, right? If, if you need to escape a burning building, what do you do? You run through the door. A word like this, like through, implies hope. It implies an opening. It screams that there's a bridge, that there's a way. There is a door. There is a window. There is a gate. There is an opening. Brothers and sisters, Paul is telling us such great news with this one word, through. But not through a commandment. Not, not through a ritual, not through religion, not through ordinances or sacraments. But what does Paul say? Through whom? A person. What is Paul saying here? What is the Spirit of God saying here? This is not just a person attached to this door. No, this person is the door. This is not just a person connected to the window, pointing to the window. No, this person is the window. This is the way. The person is the way. And who is this person? It's the same one that Paul just got finished telling us about. 
in verse 4, who was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the whom. That's the one. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only one. What does the scripture say? There is only one mediator between God and man. Who is that? The man Christ Jesus. And the scriptures are filled with this kind of language. If you ever wonder, if you're among us and you're like, well, I'm not a Christian and it kind of confuses me. Why are Christians so obsessed with Jesus? What, what, what is this big deal? Why do you make so much of Christ? Listen to what the Bible says. This language of through him. How was the universe created? John 1, 3, all things were made through him. I want you to just pay attention to those two tiny words that are so massive. And without him was not anything made that was made. John 1.10, he was in the world and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. Think of that. He is the one through whom the whole universe was made. And yet how do people treat him? The creator of all. Treated like nothing at all. How do you treat him? You spend time with him, the one through whom all things were made? Or is he someone that we just call when we're in trouble? God's wrath is coming. We know this. Death is coming. Judgment is coming. Sin is so powerful. How will you be free? How will you escape? How will you be saved? What does John 3.17 say? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. How? Through him. How can you be saved? Through him. John 14.6. You all know it. What does it say? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What about victory? Can you imagine the trials that the Christians in Rome endured? The, the lion's jaw and the emperor's fury? How could they possibly overcome? How could they endure hardships? Was it by their own strength? Sometimes we look at the martyrs of the old day and we say, there was something unique about them. What did they have? Was it because they didn't have the distractions we have? Did they have more knowledge? What, what was it? This is what it is. Romans 8.35 who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, they face that, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? This was their reality. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. How? Through him who loved us only through him. What are you suffering? What, what trial are you going through right now? Is it crushing you? Is it defeating you? Is it discouraging you? Behold the way out through him, only through him. We were talking about suicide earlier. 
It's at an all-time high. Kids are doing these things. People are harming themselves. The world is full of no hope. Why is there an opioid crisis? Why are people taking drugs and numbing their brains? Why are they drinking themselves into a stupor trying to forget? Because they have no hope. They have no meaning. They have no purpose. This world is full of empty people. They don't even know why they exist. Do you? Well, once again, listen, 1 Corinthians 8, 5. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and get this, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. The very existence, your very life itself, the meaning of your life, the purpose of your life, the reality of your life is through Him. I'm talking about these two words that combine so much, that point to the magnificence of Christ Himself. What does someone so powerful deserve from you? What does someone so great, what is He worthy of? How many of you have had a broken heart this year? Broken heart this week. Trials, hardships, constant burying loved ones, visiting them in the sick bed, or being betrayed by those that you love. Darkness is growing. Wickedness is growing. Hearts are sorrowful. The weight is pushed down. What do you need? What do you desire? Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 1.5 For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Comfort comes through Him. But not just comfort. What does it say? Abundant. <laughs> Abundant comfort through Him. What about the promises? Have you ever read the promises of God? Have you read them and said, but those aren't for me. I, I, I can't claim those. Imagine you being at a restaurant, right? You're eating your meal and you overhear, you're not eavesdropping because that's wrong, but you overhear uh, this man and his family and he's telling them, after we eat, I'm going to take you all on a trip around the world. And I have all this stuff lined up for you. And there's a new wardrobe. And he's just going on and on about all this stuff that's going to happen immediately after this meal. With something inside of you say, I wish I could be one of his kids. I mean, I, how do I get in on that, right? And we're just talking about temporary stuff. We're talking about clothes and trips. God's promises are eternal. They're never ending. They're glorious. They're things where moth and rust and thieves have no power. Listen to this. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. How can you gain access to the Father? You want to come to God? How do you do it? I mean, you're sinful. He's holy, holy, holy. Even the cherubim cover their faces. We were talking about this on Wednesday night. How can you approach God when He dwells in unapproachable light? Even if you could, you'd be consumed. One way. Two words. Through Him. 
Ephesians 2.17 And He came and preached peace to you who were far off. That was all of us. We were far off. And peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Jews and Gentiles, we were far off sinners. But through Him we have access to the Father. You have access to the Father. How? One way. Two words. Through Him. Through Him. Are you tired of being dissatisfied? You eat your favorite fruit. It just doesn't excite you anymore. You're always looking for something else, something new. You keep thinking, if only I could have this wife or this husband or this job or this career, if I could go to that school or if I could make this amount, if I could live there or this or whatever. And you have all this stuff. You say, if only that. And you know what? You get it. And what happens? Emptiness. It doesn't satisfy. You're always looking over the fence of what someone else has. Don't you want to be content? Don't you want to be satisfied? How can you get it? How can you stop thinking something else, something else, something else? Two words, through him. Philippians 4.12, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound in any and every circumstance, no matter what. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things, how? Through him who strengthens me. This is not a verse for athletes to win a Super Bowl. This is talking about contentment. This is talking about being satisfied in him, through him, no matter what you face. And lastly, How do you even glorify God? 1 Peter 4.11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Do you see, brothers and sisters, What would you have if it wasn't for Jesus Christ? Everything, everything from your creation to your salvation, your very existence, your contentment, the ability to glorify God, all of it, all of it, everything that God is doing, He's doing through Him, through His Son. Are you living for Him? Are you impacted by this? Then go and live for Him. Give him everything because he is the only door to walk through. Now, we can rejoice that through him comes all good things, but Paul is focusing on two things specifically. What does he say? Through whom, what do we have? Grace and apostleship. Through Christ, Christian, you have received grace. In other words, God saved you through Jesus Christ. And before we start talking about grace, just think about the fact that this communicates to us the Trinity. You say, how so? (laughs) Paul says here that Jesus is the door through whom grace comes, right? Meaning that someone else is sending this grace 
through Him. He's the channel. He's the instrument through which grace comes to us. But who's sending it? The Father. Have you ever thought about the fact that salvation is triune? Jesus is not the only member of the Godhead at work in saving your soul. Greatest example of this, of course, is Ephesians 1. Where you get this beautiful layout of the Father at work, the Son at work, the Holy Spirit at work in your salvation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.3 The Father, who has blessed us in Christ. The Father has done the blessing, but it's in Christ. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him. Who did the choosing? The Father. Before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us. Who did the predestinating? The Father. For adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ. There it is again. According to the purpose of His will. Whose will? The Father's will. To the praise of His glorious grace. To the praise of whose glorious grace? The Father. With which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood. The Son is the Beloved. And in Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ. You get this. The Father is setting this forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He's not left out here. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You see, the whole trinity is at work in your salvation. The Father plans, chooses, adopts, wills, the Son comes, lives, dies, suffers, bears, atones, rises. The Spirit comes, seals, awakens, regenerates. The whole Trinity is at work in your salvation. And when Paul is saying, through whom, he's communicating that there is a team effort here. And the Son is at work as the instrument, as the channel through whom grace has come to you. But he talks about grace. What is grace? The undeserved kindness of God to you. It's God's unmerited, unearned favor to which a believer does not and cannot contribute anything of worth. It is a gift, a free gift from God that you can't earn, that you can't buy, that you can't work for. It's grace. 
God won't save you, love you, forgive you, or pardon you because you cry about your sin. Judas cried about his sin. Or because you feel bad about your sin. Pharaoh felt bad. Even if you repent and try to fix your life, stop doing this and start doing that, God won't welcome you because you try to be good. No, God's love comes only by grace. God's forgiveness comes only by grace. God's mercy comes only by grace. Becoming his child is only by grace. Being spared from wrath and hell only comes by his grace. Why were the reformers, why were Martin Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Tyndale and the rest, why were they crying out even in threat of death? Why was Huss, even as he was being burned, why were they proclaiming it is by grace Grace alone, grace alone, grace alone, sole gratia. Why? Because they knew what the scripture said about mankind. It has to be of grace. Why? Because Romans 3 says this, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Together they have all become Oh, I'm sorry, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. If you're lost, you've never done a good thing in your entire life. No one does good. You've never sought after God. People talk about, these are God seekers. They seek for spirituality. They try this religion. They try that religion. They try this cult. I'm just a seeker. I'm seeking after God. No, you haven't. What does the Bible say? How many people have sought after God according to Romans 3? No one. No, if you're here, it's because God sought after you. grace. You've never done a righteous thing in your entire life. It's all been sin. There is none righteous. Not even you. Not even one. When God says this about you, it doesn't matter how hard you try to be a good person, how many works you do. Going to church won't save you. Reading your Bible won't save you. Baptism won't save you. Being a nice person won't save you. Voting Republican won't save you. Being a conservative is not the same thing as being a Christian. Taking in orphans, caring for widows, going to the abortion mill and evangelizing will not save you. Why? Because your sins are too great. Your crimes are against the king of glory. He is offended. What will you offer him? If you try to say, but look, I've done this, I've done this, he will take that as a bribe. You're trying to pay off the judge to pardon your wickedness. God does not take bribes. Salvation comes only by grace, and grace is God's free gift undeserved, unearned, unpurchased by you. It costs you nothing, but it costs the Father everything, for it was through His own Son that we received grace. Have you received grace? Have you been born again? Are you relying on your own efforts to somehow make God okay with you? Is your name written in the book of life? On the day of judgment, will you be okay? If you die tonight, one second after you die, where will you be? Where will you truly go? Do you have peace with God or are you still in your sins? We have received grace. How? Through Him. Through whom we have received grace and, whoa, stop right there, and? 
wait, and he's given you the perfect righteousness of Christ. He's forgiven you of every single sin, past, present, and future. He has saved you from the power of selfishness. He has rescued you from the coming eternal fiery wrath. He's given you mercy. He's adopted you as his own child. What else could there be? What else do you need? Is that enough for you? You've heard the hymn. Enough for me that Jesus saves. This ends my fear and doubt. A sinful soul I come to him. He'll never cast me out. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and what? And that he died for me. Is that enough for you? Do you complain that you don't have what you want? Do you grumble because this doesn't go well? I do. Where's help? Where's some practical help? Right here. God has given you grace. You'll never go to hell, Christian. Because Jesus drank your hell for you. Everyone else may reject you, but God has adopted you. What more can we ask for than this? 1 John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. Have you ever meditated on that? What kind of love is this? You? 1 John also says that we were children of someone else. Who's that? The devil. And now you should be called a child of God? What manner of love is this? And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The world is not going to like you because it didn't like him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes purifies himself as he is pure. The Lord has not only given you grace, Christian. He's not only given you mercy and freedom. He's not only filled you with his spirit, but we get this amazing word, and. Through whom we have received and. Apostleship. You say, wait, wait, wait. wait. Apostle? (laughs) What are you saying, sir? Uh, That doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, let's explore this more, shall we? Uh, apostleship. What does it actually mean? It literally means ascending forth. Now, both Chris and Kinsey have dealt with the word apostle, capital A, lowercase a. We have been taught about these things. I dealt with it earlier when Paul said, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, an apostle, right, set apart for the gospel. But the real thing is the word just means One who has been sent. One who has been sent off. An emissary. An ambassador. Someone who carries the message of another. Typically a king. In secular Greek, it was used of an expedition. People on a mission. So read the verse again. It says, through whom... And what's the next word? Nice and loud. Through whom we... Well, who's the we? Through whom we? Who is this we he's talking about? And some commentator says he thinks they think that he was talking about the other disciples, the other apostles. 
In other words, Paul is saying, me, Peter, John, the rest, we have been saved. We've been given the honor and the office of being apostles to bring about the obedience of faith. That's one view. It makes sense. And yet there's another common thought that many commentators uh, say, well, we think it means more than that. And it flows with the rest of the verses. It doesn't contradict the rest of Scripture. And it's a simple interpretation. And I like simple. I'm a simple guy. What is it? Well, think with me, brothers and sisters. Certainly Paul was an apostle. But he had already mentioned his apostolic authority right in verse 1. And if apostleship means being one who is sent... Why would he talk about being an apostle and then bring in his apostleship again? Is that his habit? Do you see him in introductions say he's an apostle and then talk about his apostleship again? As one commentator put it, as noted earlier, not every believer is an apostle in the technical New Testament sense, but every believer is in a real sense sent forth from God and privileged to be an ambassador for him going forth with the life-transforming message of the gospel of grace and truth. Now, we can say, wait, is this some type of charismatic, Pentecostal, new apostolic reformation heresy? Would anybody accuse John MacArthur of being Pentecostal, new apostolic reform? Not at all. Listen to his take on this verse. Paul opens the epistle by speaking of himself, and he resumes his personal comments in verses 8 through 15. In verses 2 through 4, he speaks about Jesus Christ. But from the end of verse 4 through verse 7, he is speaking about believers in general and about those in Rome in particular. Paul had already mentioned his own calling and office as an apostle, and it therefore seems reasonable to launch from this reference to his apostleship to discuss God's divine calling and sending of all believers. You see what he's saying there? Paul asked a rhetorical question in 1 Corinthians 12, 29, are all apostles? Well, let's look at that. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Well, pastor, you seem to be indicating that yes, But the rhetorical answer is obviously no. Are all prophets? What's the answer? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. What was he getting at? The office of apostle is only for the twelve plus him. So in that specific sense, all are not apostles. But he also says teachers. In another sense, all Christians are called to teach. Where do I get that from? Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and doing what to everyone? Teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Who is responsible for this? Now, we went through Colossians, and I'm assuming y'all remember every sermon I ever did, right? Uh, Who is the one that he was talking to there? Is this just Paul? Are we all called to preach Christ, warn everyone, and teach everyone? Certainly, you know the, wisdom, uh, the answer there. And again, in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, 
and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your heart to God. You see, officially, all Christians are not to be teachers. But in another sense, we've just seen two verses from the pen of the Apostle Paul where all believers are called to teach. Warn, warn, and teach. Even in our singing, we are admonishing and teaching. Likewise, only in this sense are all Christians apostles because we've all been sent. Well, who sent us? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords himself. Where does it say that? Matthew ten sixteen. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them in the Gentiles. You may say, ah, 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 ah. that's for the apostles. That's for the disciples. Well, let's keep reading. Verse 24, same passage. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the slave to be like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? Is that to you? Or does that just apply to the apostles? You keep reading down verse 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Is that for you? Or is that just for the apostles? If that is for you, then so is the sending out as sheep among wolves. But how about the, the Great Commission? Some say that's just for the apostles. All right, well, let's read it. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Some say that's just for the apostles, but here's the question for you. He commanded his apostles to teach their disciples everything he commanded, right? Does that include what he just commanded them to go and make disciples? Furthermore, what is said at the end of this verse? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Is that for you? Christian, is that for you? If that's for you, then so is the command to go. So here we have two examples out of the many where our Lord, the King of all kings, the true royal one, speaks to his people who have received grace and says, go on my behalf. I send you out with my message. In this sense, you have received not only grace, but apostleship to go. That's an honor. Do you see going to tell others about Christ as a burden or as an honor? I mean, after everything that you have said, does it amaze you that God would allow you to speak on his behalf? With everything that you've done, 
does it still shock you that God would use you for his glory? He saved your soul, but this verse says, wait, there's more. He has given you his holy word, his holy spirit, his holy name to go and proclaim his holy message, the gospel of Christ. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to do what? To bring about the obedience of faith. The preaching of the gospel, according to Paul, is not just a part of your salvation. Paul is arguing that it is one of the reasons that you were saved in the first place. Why? Why have you received grace and apostleship? Why have you been saved and then sent out by the king? For this reason, to bring about the obedience of faith. That's the reason that you have been saved, at least one of them. There's a reason that you have been given supernatural gifts by the Holy Spirit. There's a reason he has given you access to people, to relationships, to talents and time and treasure. There's a reason why he has given you all that he has. Why? To bring about the obedience of faith among all the nations. That's what Paul's saying. Whether you say the reason that he used apostleship is he's talking about himself as an apostle. He says the reason I've been given grace and apostleship is to bring about the obedience of faith. And we've already looked at what Jesus has said to the entire church about going out and telling others about him. So whether you like my, you know, take on apostleship and John MacArthur's or whatever and not, the fact remains you have received grace and you have been given a commission for what purpose to bring about the obedience of faith. So what does this obedience of faith language mean? What does the gospel command you to do? Repent and believe. The gospel literally commands hearers to trust, to have faith, to believe. The gospel is not just information that you're supposed to tell people. The gospel is not a song that you listen to. It's not a movie that you watch. It's not news that you hear and walk away and say, that was lovely. No. The gospel presents every listener with the responsibility to respond to it. Are you calling people to respond to the gospel or are you just telling them good news? God has sent his son to make peace with his enemies and today is the day to trust his son. Today is the day to turn from your sin. Today is the day, right now, believe in Christ. The scripture says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, right? If you tell people that, you have not given them the full gospel. You must take it further. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Therefore, what? Call upon the name of the Lord. Acts 17. God has appointed a day and a man and commands everyone to repent. That's not enough. He has commanded everyone to repent. Therefore, repent. Repent and believe. Jesus died on the cross. Trust him. Look to him. We must call people. See how it says to bring about the obedience of faith. This is an aggressive action. This is an offensive action. The gospel is not defensive. 
It's not, well, I'll just tell you about Jesus and you can make up your own mind. No, we put it square in between the eyes of the listener and say, you must answer. You must respond. You must do something about what I have just told you. What will you do? Will you take Christ or not? Will you submit or not? Will you believe or not? We can't leave them any middle ground. We can't leave them to say, well, I'll go think about it. If you say you'll go think about it, then what have you done? You've rejected Jesus. If you say, give me some time, you have rejected Christ. You have rejected the gospel. In other words, you have not obeyed. How do you obey the gospel? By believing in Jesus, by trusting in Christ, by looking to the cross, by repenting of your self-righteousness and sin and rebellion. Is that what you've done? We've all been there, right? There's the supermarket, department store, you see that kid. You know what I'm going to say. That kid is being commanded by his parents. And what does the kid do? No, no, I'm not going to do it. What happens inside of you? Your heart starts, you're like, you know what? I'll spank your kid for you. We don't like disobedience. Austin is one of the most rebellious cities in the nation. Here is Governor Abbott, who has authority over the state of Texas and said no mask mandates. And the very day, what does the city of Austin do? Mask mandates. We look at that and say, that is wicked. That is evil. And there are some people who obey the governor and they obey the police and they obey their parents and they obey the teacher and they obey traffic signs and they never drop above the speed limit. But you know what? They have disobeyed God. They have disobeyed the gospel because God commands all men to repent and yet they don't. God commands all men to believe and yet they don't. What did God say? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What did he say? Listen to him. And what did Jesus tell everybody? Follow me. Are you following him? Then you're disobeying him. You're disobeying God. You're disobeying the gospel. We are to bring everybody to the obedience of faith. Because if not, 2 Thessalonians says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Obey the gospel or else. That's what we're calling men and women to do. When we go out today, that's what we're doing. We're calling these people, obey the gospel or else. Obey the Lord or else. You must be seeking to bring about the obedience of faith. 1 Peter 4.17 For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? But the second part of this is not just obey to believe. If you believe, what will you do? You'll obey. How do you know that you're a Christian? How do you, how do you know that you really are a Christian? How do you know that you really have come to believe? Is it just your statement of faith? Is it just your doctrinal statement? Is it just, hey, I believe, I believe. 
No, if you truly believe, then what will you do? You will obey. How did Jesus put it? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I tell you? The warning, do not only be a hearer of the word, but be a what? Be a doer. Or as James puts it, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith? I believe, but does not have works. He doesn't obey. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, if it does not have evidence, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me uh, and I will show you my faith Sorry, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. John Calvin said, it is faith alone that justifies, but the faith that justifies is not alone. There will be proof. Our sister Hannah is pregnant. We rejoice in that. I remember seeing my wife pregnant. And you know, you get to a point, ladies, where people don't have to ask you, right? You don't have to have a, I'm going to have a baby. Why not? Because the evidence is obvious. It's there. You can see someone is inside of you growing. If you say, I have believed, there will be proof. Is there evidence in your life? Is there proof in your life? Is it enough to say, well, I believe these things. I, I, I agree with these things. Look at my sermon index. Look, look at my library. Listen to what I say. But what does your life look like? Is there proof? Is there evidence? If you have come to the obedience of faith, then that faith will bring you to obedience all the time. Rob Ventura, Pastor Rob Ventura, he told my daughter Grace this summer, Christians are not perfect. They strive after Christ on purpose. I like that. Spurgeon said, faith and obedience are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God, trusts God. And he that trusts God, obeys God. We're coming to the end of this verse here. For the sake of his name. One of the dangerous things about being a human being is the reality that words can lose their meaning by repetition. The more you say something, the less impactful it can become. You have a favorite song? Have you ever put your favorite song on repeat? And you're like, yeah, this is good. Second time, it's still good. By the fifth time, you're like, I don't know. It just loses. The, the words that were once so boom, powerful, hitting your heart, causing you to weep by the fifth time, you know, you're back to typing. It's just background music. Parents, you with young children, you know this, right? Your children, can we listen to it again, Mommy? Can we play it again, Daddy? And you're like, really? After the hundredth time, you want to listen again? I don't know how it happens. Well, the same, sadly, is true with the things of God. You take a statement like, to God be the glory. Soli Deo Gloria. We put it on t-shirts, nothing wrong with that. I like to wear t-shirts that say, to God be the glory. Amen. But we can put it on 
t-shirts, we can put it on coffee mugs, it can be the signature at the end of your email. And if it is, how many times do you read those words and just stop and just weep and just rejoice? You see what I'm saying? It can just become something we say, but it was never meant to be. And when Paul says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, he meant it. That meant something to him. That was not a throwaway passage. Does it mean something to you? What does he even mean by his name for the sake of his name? Does that just mean God or just say Jesus and don't say Jesus in a way that's trivial? No, it's the same thing that Jesus meant when he taught us to pray. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. The name is who are you, God? What have you done the answer to these questions is what he means by the name. It's, it's who he is. It's his attributes. It's his greatness. It's his majesty. It's his splendor. It's his wonder. It's his panoramic perfection. It's all that he is, his holiness, his wonder, uh, the magnificence of who he is, the weightiness of who he really is. And when you search the scripture, you see this common theme that God has done all things for the sake of his name. Isaiah 48, 10. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. Why? For my own sake. For my own sake I do it. For how shall my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. You see what Paul is saying here? Bring about the obedience of faith. Faith, we're talking about salvation, sanctification, the entire Christian life. What's the point of it? His name. His name. We're supposed to be displaying the greatness of his name. One example. Take the Lord's patience. Think of your life, Christian. There you were in your sin, living in rebellion against God, chasing the darkness, going your own way. And then comes the day when someone came to you to bring you to the obedience of faith through the message of the gospel and you believed. Behold the patience of God because He had every right to crush you the first time you rejected him. He had every right when you were chasing that thing and, and, and testing the limits of his grace and, 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 and seeking to manipulate him. And God, if you get me out of this, then I'll serve you and all the rest of that. But he had patience. What does all of creation say? Looking at this. Angels don't know patience, not personally. Angels have never received patience. When the angels sinned against God that day, he cast them out. They don't know what it is to have a God who's patient with them, but they worship him for his patience. All of creation, when they see, why is there rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents? Because of the name of God, the display of his greatness. 
Look at the patience of God with this sinner. Look at the mercy of God with this sinner. Look at the wisdom of the gospel that God would send his son to come flesh, to live a life and obey his own law and take his own wrath, to bring sinners not by their own works, but by his grace for the greatness of his name and bring them in and adopt them as sons and have them with them forever. Who could come up with something like that? God alone. The wisdom of God is displayed in the gospel. The patience of God is displayed in the gospel. The mercy of God, the grace of God, the glory of God, the weightiness of it all. Brothers and sisters, the reason why you were saved is not primarily for you. The gospel is about God. The good news of the gospel is not mainly that you get forgiven or even that you don't go to hell. That's a byproduct. The point the greatness of salvation is his name is on display. Only Christians rejoice at that because the world hears that and says, that's very selfish of him. That's very prideful and egotistical. But Isaiah 43, 25, I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Why were you forgiven? For my own sake, he says, and I will not remember your sins. Vine says, this is the paramount consideration in all gospel work. While the gospel is intended to accomplish the salvation of souls, yet above and beyond this, its object is the glory of the Redeemer. The proclamation of the gospel is a witness for his name. His name expresses what he is, and it is his character that shines out, not only in the nature of the gospel itself, but also in the results which it achieves. Who are you supposed to take this gospel to? For the sake of his name among all the nations. If you wonder who that is, just ask yourself the question, is there any nation that should not bow the knee to Christ? If so, don't go to them. Is there any group of people on the face of this earth who should not worship the God that made them? If you can find that group, don't go to them. Is there anybody who breathes the breath that God has put into their lungs who does not owe him their all in all? If so, don't go to them. But you know the truth. Everyone, every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every culture, every language, everybody on the face of this earth owes him their allegiance. So tell the world, tell the nations, tell them all. He ends this statement with, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That's the point. You have been called to belong to him as a slave. He is Lord. He is master. You've been called to belong to him. So respond to his lordship by doing what he commanded. And what did he command you to do? Take the grace. Go as you've been sent call the world to obey him, to obey the gospel for the sake of his great name. That's the point. So many people are talking about pledging allegiance to this flag or that one and not wanting to stand for the anthem and all that. And listen, that, that's, a, that's an important conversation. But here's the last thing I will say to you. There is one anthem, 
One anthem that we must all pledge allegiance to, stand up for, bow the knee to, whatever you want to call it. And here it is, Revelation 5.11. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice. Remember, angels don't know what it means to receive grace. But listen to the call. Listen to the anthem of eternity. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. That's our anthem. Pledge allegiance to the Lamb. Bow the knee to the King. Stand up in honor of the Lord. Serve Him with all your life, for He's worthy. And go call the nations to obey the gospel for His name's sake. Father, You're greater than I can ever say. Your Son is more worthy than I can ever express. Your Spirit is more precious than I can ever begin to communicate. And yet, Lord, we desire to behold Your greatness and take the message of the cross to this world that they might obey You. Please, Father, may we return from our endeavors with the spoils of the enemy's camp. Bless our ministry for Your name's sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.